0: The scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. It's on page 856 in your pew Bible. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence any voices in us but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has reigned up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, Grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Well, some of you remember that scene in um, the great cinematic classic Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, where uh, they're around the dinner table, and uh, Will Ferrell uh, starts to pray to little baby Jesus, and his wife uh, says he's a grown man, he's got a beard, why do you have to keep praying to his baby? He says, well, I like to picture Jesus as an a, a baby. So he says the blessing and says, you know, dear, eight pounds, six ounce, beautiful baby Jesus. And uh, his friend kind of says, you know, I like to picture Jesus uh, with a tuxedo t-shirt, which says, um, you know, I'm, I'm classy, but I like to party. And one of the sons chimes in and says, I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off samurais. And it goes downhill from there. But uh, what what... I'm always surprised when a Hollywood movie like that gets their theology right because there really is this sense of people admire Jesus, they're drawn to Jesus, but everybody wants to define Jesus in their own way, right? We we, want to come to Jesus and we want to take little bits and pieces and say, this is Jesus, And if we prefer baby Jesus, that's who we go for. If we prefer, um, you know, um, Jesus the teacher, if we prefer Jesus the healer, if we prefer Jesus the humble one, we always find so that, you know, you, you just kind of find debates of which Jesus this is. And so how appropriate that we sing, what child is this? Because who is Jesus is one of the most crucial questions, we are confronted. And we can't just say, I believe Jesus, and then make up a Jesus we want to believe in. We have to hear who Jesus Himself is. And this is rampant. Um, I haven't, I've done this several years ago, and I just did it again, of looking at books in Amazon to look for different titles where Jesus is and see what they are. And um, so we have Jesus the Master Coach, Jesus the Entrepreneur using ancient wisdom to launch and live your dreams. Jesus is one who helps you invest properly and live out your desires. Here's one, if Jesus gave a TED Talk, eight neuroscience principles the master teacher used to persuade his audience. Jesus is the master teacher. Sell it like Jesus. Principles and strategies of the world's greatest salesman. A stretch. Jesus, the master psychologist. How to argue like Jesus, learning persuasions from history's greatest communicator. That's what he was. And one that strikes me as really peculiar Jesus Christ, quantum physicist. So, <laughs> now it is true, Jesus is the perfect example of humanity. So, Jesus is the master teacher, Jesus is the, the perfect leader. Um, as he led people, Jesus is um, the master of all these things. And yet, if we try to condense Jesus into being the good example of whatever we want to be—whether it's a salesman, or a communicator, or a uh, quantum physicist—then um, we we reduce Jesus in his definition and make him merely an example. And it's just all over the board where we take our own ideas and project them onto Jesus, ignoring completely, or not completely, just picking and choosing, but ignoring much of what Scripture says Jesus is. There was another one, Jesus the terrorist. This is a shocking truth. Jesus was a zealot who wanted to be king of Israel. The apostles and disciples were a member of his family by blood and marriage, and they went on to wage war against Rome. Far from converting, Saul, the false apostle, remained malicious and vindictive to the end. Saul invented Christianity, borrowing the rituals of a pagan religion, Mithraism. The Gospels are a deliberate, scrambled version of Jewish zealot propaganda with characters who were Jewish warriors stolen and subverted by Christian writers. Who needs evidence? Who needs any sort of fact? We just make up whatever we want to believe about Jesus. And here's the thing, do we do that? I mean, to to look at the extremes of sweet 8.6-pound baby Jesus and and over here at Jesus, the quantum physicist, or terrorist. But do we do that? Do we make Jesus primarily a role model for us? Do we make Jesus one who approves of everything that we do and denounces everything the people on the other political party do? Do we kind of put Jesus in our side and say, this is who we think Jesus is, or do we come to hear Jesus's own words? As we celebrate the birth of our Savior, it's appropriate that we remember um, Jesus is telling us He came to seek and to save the lost. He came not as to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. For Him to tell us that He and the Father are one, that if we have seen Him, we have seen the Father. And, and to hear his own words, but there's also something that we have in Zechariah's prophecy that tells us a lot about who Jesus is. Um, this portion of Luke that we read was John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. Um, he prophesied at John's birth about John being the forerunner, and in doing so, he said um, he was blessing God and we're told in the first verse that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So in other words, to hear Zachariah's words are to hear the words of the Holy Spirit to us. God's Holy Spirit speaking through him to tell us that God has raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. As he spoke of the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hands of those who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, and to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. This morning, what I want us to see is that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of all of the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. You catch there, he's raised up out of the house of the servant David that he had promised. Out of the mouths of prophets, he spoke about David. He had made a promise of mercy to Abraham, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. If we were to hear Mary's song, Earlier, she spoke about Jesus being the fulfillment of the prophecy and the promises spoken to the fathers. And Jesus himself said, you search the Scriptures, as he's talking to the Pharisees, to find eternal life, but they speak about me. He's saying they talk about him. On the road to Emmaus, he said that he showed them from the law and the prophets where they spoke about him. And so Jesus, we see, He says, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And what we see is the law is not just the rules and instructions, but the law is the whole story. So we have Jesus, the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. Jesus, the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament Scriptures. So when we're defining Jesus, when we're pondering who this baby is that's born among us, we hear his words of what he's told us, but we have ages of <laughs> prophecy and stories pointing to tell us who he is and what he came to do. And when we think of Jesus' fulfillment, that has to inform who we understand Jesus to be. So hold on to your seats. Jesus was the new Adam. Adam. Adam, who failed the test um, and sinned, and through him, sin came to all people. Through the new Adam, Paul tells us in Romans, all gain life. Life comes to us in this new Adam. Right after the fall, and we're told that they're expelled from the garden, there's the prophecy that there's the offspring of the woman, the seed of the woman that will crush the serpent's head. This is the first announcement of the gospel. Then their children, Cain, slays Abel. Abel's blood cries out for justice. And then we're told in Hebrews that the blood of one better than Abel, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, that we see a picture of not crying out for just justice, but for mercy as Christ's blood is like that blood that cries out for justice being fulfilled in him and mercy given to us. As sin grows and we see Noah saving the people, we're told in 1 Peter that God prepared an ark through which the people are saved through water. And this corresponds to our baptism that we celebrate that points to us of one who prepared himself to save us through the waters of our baptism. We see the promise of the fulfillment of Abraham as he looked out on all the stars and said, count the stars if you're able I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And we see the fulfillment of Jesus Christ being the blessing of all nations in this covenant made with Abraham. Abraham meets one called Melchizedek, a priest, and he gives tithe to him. And we're told in Hebrews that this points to Christ Jesus who is a type of Melchizedek, one who had no parentage, no lineage, but who is himself a priest and a king of peace who receives tithes showing that he is greater than Abraham. As God's people are in Egypt, and they're given a sacrifice to show that they are marked as God's people and not Pharaoh's. We see in the Passover lamb something pointing to Christ. I skipped ahead. (laughs) Back to Abraham. Abraham's son Isaac was to be sacrificed. They went up on the hill, this young man burying the wood, to go up to a mountain to die as a sacrifice. Does it not point us to the one Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb He is the lamb that was provided in Isaac's place. Isaac's son, Jacob, gave to his people a well. At that well, Jesus says, I am the living water. He is greater than any well that Jacob gave. Jacob's son, Joseph, do we not see it pointing to the gospel as Joseph was sold for pieces of silver, handed over by his brothers, Betrayed and as good as dead, and yet raised up to the right hand of the king of Egypt. Doesn't this point to the one who was betrayed for silver, who died in our place, and yet forgives us and is raised to the right hand of the Father? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, as the blessings Jacob gave to his children was that Judah would have a scepter that would never depart, that his reign would be forever. Now to Moses. As Moses delivered the people from Egypt, from bondage to slavery, we see a picture of Jesus who saves us, not just from slavery here, but slavery to sin and death and to condemnation. The Passover lamb whose blood marks the people of God over against the people of Pharaoh and shows us that he is the one who takes away the sins of the world. Israel goes into the wilderness and is tested and they fail Jesus himself will later go into the wilderness for 40 days, echoing the 40 years, and yet he passes the test as he is tempted by the evil one. The people ate manna in the wilderness and were fed, and Jesus on a hill says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna and died, but come to me and you have eternal life. He is the golden serpent that is raised up that if everyone looks at him, they're healed and restored. And John tells us that just as he is raised up on the cross, he's like that serpent. He is that tabernacle, the tent where God's sacrifice and presence were to take place as it went with God's people. And John tells us that when Jesus came to us, he tabernacled among us. He is God's glory shown to us. Joshua takes the people in to take over Canaan, to to send out the enemies and to conquer the promised land and bring people their rest. And Joshua, which in Greek is called Jesus, shows us one who goes in to conquer our enemies and takes us into the promised rest of his people. They're they're there for a while. And we hear the stories, we hear of Boaz, the kindred redeemer to bring in foreigners into the family. And do we... Not need a kindred redeemer to bring us who are far off into God's family. Their great grandchild David goes and fights against Goliath on a hill, an enemy no one could fight. He represents all the people, and in his victory, they win the victory. Do we not see ourselves? in the crowd praying for one like David who will come and destroy our enemy of sin and death. And because he is victorious, we enter into that victory and we receive the promises. God promised to David that he would have a dynasty that would last forever, that he would build for him a house. And that house is fulfilled in the son of David, born in the city of David, the one greater than David who fulfills that promise David goes on to write Psalms, and in them they point to Jesus. Jesus Christ is the blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. It's not me. Jesus is the one who cries out, My God, my God, as his hands and feet are pierced. Jesus is the shepherd who makes us lie down into green pastures and leads us beside still waters. He is the fulfillment of the words of the prophecies that Isaiah says, one will be born of the virgin. As Micah says, he will be born in Bethlehem. As Hosea says, he will have to flee to Egypt. He is the fulfillment of all of these. So when we say fulfillment, we don't just find a few verses in the prophets that we twist around to make to fit Jesus. We see that on every page of the scripture, it is pointing us to Jesus. And how dare anyone take that and say, you know what Jesus means to me? We don't get to define him. We see him who he is, and he is the fulfillment of all of these promises. He's the fulfillment of all of what God is telling us to do. And over and over and over again, what he's telling us is, you don't build your way up to me. I come down to you. Over and over again, he says, I needed someone to stand and represent and be obedient. And Adam failed, and Noah failed, and Israel failed, and David failed. And over and over again, until we come to Christ, the final one who did not fail, who passed the test, and stands in our place in obedience so he can represent us. And over and over again, we're we're, we're told that in spite of our failures, his blood covers sin. He comes to those who are far off. His promises are fulfilled not because we are faithful, but because he is faithful and he keeps his covenant over and over. We're told of who this Jesus is and that what he came to do was to save us. Can I say that even there, we want to take these words and we want to make them about us and about what we want to do. So even when we talk about salvation, people want to take that and make it about political liberation. People want to take that salvation and make it about monetary increase. That's what blessing is. People want to take that salvation and make it about goodness in this life. But even there, He tells us what it is. He will give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. Our salvation is that in spite of our selfishness, In spite of us wanting to be as God, in spite of us rejecting God or trying to even remake Him in our image, in spite of all of that, He saves us and brings us back, forgiving us of our sins and returning us into the family. And even that was prophesied. Isaiah said, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, This is the Christ, the fulfillment of all these who came in humility to save us from our sins and to redeem us and reconcile us, to bring us joy, to bring us that overflowing life. Do you believe him as he says he is? Do you know Jesus as he has said um, who he is? Or are we still trying to make Jesus in our image and someone we want him to be. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe in the words of the Apostles Creed.